0: happy monday i need answers if red dye is so dangerous how come we've been using it all these years in so many things and if the red dye for food is safer than the red dye for other things why isn't that all we use in cosmetics time to take a deep dive so sit back relax and enjoy this this red episode of beauty reform school hi you stumbled across beauty reform school the podcast that explores beauty style reinvention self-care all from the perspective of the outside looking in we pick apart the classics so you can confidently break the mold and i'm your host bad bad pj brown the artist the educator the retail grunt the problem child The one who's done it the hard way for decades. And now I'm passing the savings on to you. So bring me your tired, your confused, your weirdos, your others yearning to breathe free. And if this sounds like you, grab your pen and grab your scratch pad. And let's figure this crap out together. Right here at Beauty Reform School. I thought for tax today, I would share a little bit of what's going on with me. As I've told you many, many times, it's not always sunshine and lollipops, and that's fine. It's fine. You accept it, and you go through it. Only way out is through. So, I had a feeling that a lot of people might be in the very same place. So i'm gonna share ever since i've gone back to work i've been climbing my way back into my life ironically as soon as i started going back to work my financial situation took a nosedive that's because we don't have as many hours as we used to more people are working from home and therefore less customers less money less tips and it's interesting because a lot of people I, like a lot of people, were on unemployment when the pandemic happened. Um, You know, I filed for unemployment when I I had to stay home, when I had to shelter in place. And I wanted to be sure that I could go back to my job because, as most of us, we didn't think it was going to last as long as it did. So I didn't want to get... Uh, into a different job I wanted to be there for when my store opened back up Um, especially with them being a family business and a small business I wanted to be there Um, so we didn't have as many hours as we used to more people started working from home and therefore there were less customers less customers less money less money less tips so bills started stacking up and as a result depression started stacking up too and sure i thought of it as i usually do but there it was sitting right next to me now on the other hand Some things started to look up. The hours have improved a little bit. I found a way to supplement my income a little bit. I'm slowly climbing out of this hole that the pandemic has put me in. Um, I'm getting some gigs back. But in the back of my mind, I quietly wonder, is the pandemic going to come back? Are venues going to close again before I get a chance to do the shows I'm set up for? Is this PTSD? Possibly. Probably. Because given all that's happened, there hasn't been a lot of resources for taking care of and treating this very devastating thing that we've all just been through. And frankly, still going through. So I want you to know that if you're in a similar situation, be kind to yourself. And when you come across something, else, someone else, be kind to them as well. We're all short-tempered. We're all exhausted. And I think we do want to remind ourselves of that as much as we can. In the meantime, take life in bite-sized pieces. If it all seems too big, take it 10 minutes at a time. Try to do what you can. The rest will be waiting. No need to make it worse. Just put one step in front of the other and don't try to look too far down the road. And I don't want to give you a bunch of platitudes. These are just some of the ones that I use that help me. And when it says take it in 10 minute increments, that simply means don't think about everything you have to do. Don't think about the full day ahead or the week ahead. Don't think about all the bills that you have for this month. Just think about the money that you have right now, what you can put aside for them. Do that. Rinse and repeat. Because you can't do more. Now, as far as supplementing income, it took me a while it took me over a couple of months to formulate a plan and think of something I could do that could possibly make more money now i'm going to tell you right now when when someone talks about how they did something or how they achieved something they tend to hold back they don't want to tell you too much and um it's frustrating i hate that so i'm going to be really plain with you I um I decided I looked for a a need and I filled it at my job so I found out so I looked around for something that that they really needed at my job and I created it and I was able to make a deal where I could get you know, compensated for the the need that I was able to fill. So do, so that is a great suggestion for you. If you can't do it at your job, do it somewhere else. If you look around, keep your eyes and ears open for something that you can fill, a need you can fill, and fill it. Now, you might think, well, doesn't that cost money? Yes. Yes, it does cost money. But you know what I did? Every little penny I got, I put a little aside. I bought a little piece of something. I bought some supplies here and there, little bit here, little bit there. And when I finally had enough supplies, then I got started. And in the beginning, it didn't. It was. It, it didn't. You know, it, it was slow. Not a lot happened. Not a lot of people were interested in in what I made. But now they are doing it more. They're getting it more and I'm able to create more income and as with most little small ventures more income needs more supplies which means you have to spend more money and you got to spend money to make money but you just do it slow but sure and then eventually it starts to pick up for you and here we are here we are so and am I am I out of the hole absolutely not not even close But I'm further along than I was before. And that's the moral of the story. So keep going. Keep your eyes and ears open for things you can do to supplement yourself. And hopefully one day we'll all get through this. One step at a time, though. Don't look too far ahead. Just look at the road right in front of you. I hope that helps. few people ask me about consultations and advice and I have good news. Beauty Reform School now has a Patreon. Different tiers will give you different opportunities. You can contribute in small ways to offer support and help fund the production of the podcast or you can contribute in larger ways and book one of the consultations with yours truly from everything from natural tutorial consultations to brand recommendations, troubleshooting, and advice. My very favorite is the mirror consultation where I will walk you through step-by-step how to do a particular beauty application. I'll even demonstrate as we go. Your support will provide much-needed things like helping with production costs, equipment, and hopefully one day being able to hire more staff. More staff leads to more services and hopefully one day, even live shows. So go on over to patreon.com and sign up if you can. Did I mention you get a shout out on the podcast? Well, you do. Resources for today's episodes are from Medical News Today, AfterglowCosmetics.com, WiseGeek.com, and FDA.gov. And now, without further ado... Let's get into this episode. So what exactly is red dye? A color additive as defined by regulation is any dye, pigment, or other substance that can impart color to a food, drug, or cosmetic, or to the human body. Color additives are important components of many products, making them attractive, appealing, appetizing, and informative. Added color serves as a kind of code that allows us to identify products on site, like candy, flavors, medicine dosages, <laughs> and left or right contact lenses. One of the US Food and Drug Administrations, also known as the FDA's roles to is to ensure that Color additives are safely and appropriately used. Color additives are classified as straight colors, lakes and mixtures. Straight colors are color additives that have not been mixed or chemically reacted with any other substance. For example, FD&C blue number one or blue one. Now, we all know our primary colors, right? So you have your red, your blue, and your yellow. Those are colors that are pure and not mixed with anything else. When you start adding other colors, they become other versions of themselves. So if you add a tiny drop of yellow to a red, you'll get a tomato red, or you'll get a little, if you keep adding yellow, you'll get an orange which is your secondary color, right? So that's the idea, keep that in mind. Now, they, we said lakes for food must be made from certain five batches a straight color, but one example is carmine, which is a lake made from coconut extract. And we'll be talking about that a bit. Lakes for food use are made with aluminum cactin, Catching, I think, as the precipitant and aluminum hydroxide of the substram. All right, with the science. Anyway, mixtures are color additives formed by mixing one color additive with one or more other color additives for non-color dilutants without a chemical reaction. For example, food inks that are used to mark confectionery. All right, color is in their definition in their definition includes white black and gray in the art world those are considered naturals so we are saying that just so in case you're going hmm. and yes black is the combination of all colors while white is the reflection of all colors in addition any chemical that reacts with other another substance and causes formation of a color may be a color additive for example i hate this word dihydroxyacetone also known as dha which is what we're going to call it henceforth when applied to the skin reacts with the protein of the skin to impart color and even though dha is colorless it acts as a color additive when used for this purpose and is regulated as a color additive. That's a lot like those blushes and lip colors that turn colors on your skin, right? So they come usually in a little tin. They're usually like a gel consistency and they're clear until you place them on your skin and then all of a sudden you start seeing either pink or red or purple. There is no generally recognized as safe, also known as grass, GRAS, g r a s exemption to the definition of a color additive. Now the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, FD&C Act, provides that a substance that imparts color is a color additive and is subject to pre-market approval requirements unless the substance is used solely for a purpose other than coloring. Historical perspectives. Let's get into that. All right. The basis for current regulations. Now, naturally occurring color additives from vegetable and mineral sources were used to color foods, drugs, and cosmetics in ancient times. Paprika, turmeric, saffron, iron, and lead oxides, and copper sulfate are some examples. The early Egyptians used artificial colors in cosmetics and hair dyes and wine was artificially colored beginning in at least 300 B.C. Now in 1856, William Henry Perkin discovered the first synthetic organic dye called mauve. One of my favorites. Discoveries of similar dyes soon followed and they quickly became used to color foods, drugs, and cosmetics. Because these dyes were first pronounced from byproducts of coal processing, they were known as coal tar colors. Federal oversight of color additives began in the 1880s. The assessment of color Imparting ingredients in foods was among the first public initiatives undertaken by the U.S. When in 1881, the U.S. Department of Agri- Agriculture, the USDA, Bureau of Chemistry began research on the use of colors in food, butter and cheese were the first foods for which the federal government authorized the use of artificial coloring. By 1900, many foods, drugs, and cosmetics available in the U.S. were artificially colored. However, not all of the coloring agents were harmless, and some were being used to hide inferior or defective foods. We're not surprised about that, right? A careful assessment of the chemicals used for coloring foods at the same time found many blatantly poisonous materials such as lead, arsenic, and mercury being added. In many cases, the toxicity of the starting materials for synthesizing coloring agents were known and could be toxins, irritants, sensitizers, or carcinogens. Now, in 1906, Congress passed the Food and Drugs Act, which prohibited the use of poisonous or deleterious colors in confectionery and the color or staining of food to conceal damage or inferiority. See Artificial Cheese Slices (laughs) The USDA had initial enforcement authority for this act, and in 1907, the USDA issued food inspection decisions 76 which contained a list of seven straight colors approved for use in food subsequent fids in the early part of the century established a voluntary certification program and listed new colors in 1927 Responsibility for enforcing the Food and Drugs Act of 1906 was given to the newly established FDA. Dun, dun, dun. The agency was first called the Food, Drug, and Insecticide Administration and was given its current name in 1930. And by 1931, there were 15 straight colors approved for use in food, including six of the seven in use today. Run them down. FD&C Blue 1, also known as Brilliant Blue. Blue number two, Indigo Teen. Green number three, Fast Green. <laughs> Red number three. Eurothrazine, yellow number five, tartrazine, and yellow number six, sunset yellow, which brings us to the Federal Food and Drug and Cosmetic Act of 1938. In the 1920s and the 1930s, it became clear that the Food and Drugs Act of 1906 did not go far enough to protect the public health from misbranded, adulterated, and even toxic products, including an eyelash dye that blinded some lady. The Federal Food and Drug and Cosmetic Act of 1938 further increased government oversight of foods and drugs and for the first time passed legislation for the regulation of cosmetics and medical devices for color additives. The nineteen thirty eight F D and C Act mandated the listing of these coal tar colors rather than coal tar oh other than coal tar hair dyes that were harmless and suitable, quote unquote, for use in foods, drugs, and cosmetics. In action, the act contained adulteration and misbranding provisions for the use of coal tar colors in foods, drugs, and cosmetics required the listing of new colors and made mandatory the previously voluntary certification program for batches of listed colors with associated fees so it was like you know you can't you know no more volunteering to tell us what's in your stuff now you have to color additive lakes were used were in use by this time and were included in the provisions of the 1938 fdnc act the initial listing of lakes for food use under the act restricted their use to coloring shell eggs egg dyeing. in response to the 1938 act through though public hearings fda created nomenclature for certifiable color additives now the FDA also established labeling labeling, and record-keeping provisions, identified dilutants that could be added to color additives, and established procedures for requesting certification of color additives and adding new color additives to the permitted list. Now, I'm sure by this point, your your head is swimming. There's a lot, right? Of course it is, because... But they, they were, this is this was the early stages when they were trying to figure it all out. So at first, it was a free-for-all, like the wild, wild west. And they were like, eh, we'll just do anything. And then they were like, whoops, we need to make a couple of rules here and there. So we're like, you can only use this, you can only use that, don't do this. And they're like, you know, but, but, do, but be a lamb and let us know, you know, what you're doing. Because that'd be nice, you know, for folks, that'd be nice if you did that. That's what they said at first. But then, like, people's poor uh, ladies' eyes swell shut and a bunch of other things started happening, you know. People probably were getting spots, who knows. And then they were like, oh, man, we we should probably make this a little more strict. So here we are. And in the midst of all of that, they were adding on more and more and more ingredients onto the list, you know. So the Color Additive Amendments of 1960 were uh let me see in the fall of 1950 let's start there many children became ill from eating an orange halloween candy containing one to two percent orange number one now that was approved that same year the u.s house representative Jane delaney began holding hearings on the possible car- carcinogenity of pesticide residues and food additives now these events Prompted the FDA to reevaluate all the listed color additives. And in the next few years, the FDA found that several caused serious adverse effects and proceeded to terminate their listings. Now, during that time, it also became clear that coal was no longer the primary raw material source for the manufacture of color additives. What? The Color Additives Amendment of 1960 defined color additive and required that only color additives except coal tar hair dyes listed as, quote, suitable and safe, end quote, for giving uh, giving use and can be used in foods, drugs, cosmetics, and medical devices. The 1960 amendments prescribed that the factors and wait... It prescribed the factors that FDA must consider in determining whether a proposed use of a color additive is safe, as well as the specific conditions for safe use that must be included in the listing regulation. FDA updated the procedural regulations for the petition process in response to these amendments, and under these amendments, the approximately 200 color additives that were in commercial use at the time were provisionally listed and could be used as an interim, on an interim basis until they were either permanently listed or terminated due to safety concerns or a lack of commercial interest. Permanently listing a color additive for a proposed use was prohibited unless scientific data established its safety, and that is important. That's why. That's why it, people look for things to be FDA approved. If you were ever wondering, like, what, how did that even get started, and all that kind of stuff, there it is. There you go. That was the moment. All right. That brings us to the 1960 amendments. Also, they contained a Delaney clause that prohibited the list of a color additive shown to be a carcinogen. The clause states that, get ready for this one, a color additive shall be deemed unsafe if the additive is found to induce cancer when ingested by man or animal or after other relevant exposure of man or animal to such additive, end quote. After 1960, FDA gradually removed color additives from the provisional list, either by permanent listing or by termination of listing. Today, about half of the 1960 color additives remain listed. Only color additive lakes remain provisionally listed, and initiatives are underway to permanently list them. Right? Because, hello? But you know, everybody's going to tap dance around things and that's why it's good that you have advocates in all of these worlds regulating things and checking things out. And they should be, uh, I lost my train, I lost the word I'm looking for, impartial, that's the word, (laughs) they should be impartial, they shouldn't be working for a cosmetic company or a food company, they should be impartial. They should be scientists that are impartial. All right. So, red dye 40, commonly used synthetic color additive. Some research has linked food dyes to allergies and neurobehavioral effects in children, including symptoms of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I know you. Hey, ADHD, how you doing? Red dye 40 is a synthetic food dye made from petroleum certified color additives that the food and drug administration has approved for use in food and beverages manufacturers use synthetic color additives more often than natural options because they provide a more uniform color they do not add unwanted flavors and they are generally wait for it cheaper that's right Food manufacturers can only use synthetic additives that the FDA has certified. Now, natural color additives, which are pigments from vegetables, minerals, and animals, are exempt from certification. Hmm. However, the FDA must still approve them for use. Well, that makes absolutely no sense to me at all. Interestingly enough, uh, when my mom first found out that I had ADHD uh, quite some time ago and then ignored it one of her attempts to deal with it um was to I had I was on an all-natural diet for a while I call that the days of carob for me where I couldn't have like certain sugars and I couldn't have certain things and I couldn't eat junk food and I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that uh, and the only chocolate I could have was carob. Oh, was so gross. I hate carob. Anyway, I believe that was her homespun effort to get me off of like dyes and additives and preservatives and things like that. Turns out though that that is a very hard lifestyle to keep up, especially that many years ago, long, long, long time ago. Hard to keep that up back then. It's a lot easier now. My mom probably would have been a lot happier now. But she wouldn't have been that happy because it's still very expensive. So, I don't know. Anyway, where do you find Red Dye 40? Energy and sports drinks, sodas, protein powders, powders, cereals, dairy products, gelatins, candy, chewing gum, confections, just for starters. But how do you find... Red dye 40 on labels. Keep your eyes out for the following. Allura Red AC, Red 40, Red 40 Lake, Red number 40 Aluminum Lake, Red number 40, oh FD&C Red number 40, E129, CI Food Red 17, INS number 129. So when you're reading labels and you're looking for it, keep your eyes out. Now, that's the one kind. Time for us to talk about Carmine. Now, we did talk about Carmine a bit in the Anatomy of Red Lip episode. So you can go back and listen to that. Um, But if you want to know more, but I'm going to run this down for you. So it is highly likely that some some of your cosmetics have bugs in them, intentionally. I'm talking specifically about the extract from one little critter called a cochineal Beetle. Now this beetle extract is used in both traditional petroleum-based and natural makeup for the brilliant cool-toned pinks and reds it imparts. This buggy dye is generally referred to as carmine in cosmetics, makeup, and food. The cochineal Beetle, uh, the dac, dactylopius, Confucius. Okay, native native to Mexico and Central America, spends her happy life feasting on various cacti. Yes, you guessed it. Only the female beetle is used for dye. We don't get no breaks, ladies. Don't get no breaks. Anyway. She is harvested and her ectoskeleton is crushed to create a brilliant crimson red dye extract commonly called carmine. The Aztecs were first to use carmine as a red dye. Carmine is now not only found in cosmetics but in many other consumables from your strawberry yogurt and colored drinks to perfume and vitamins. Why is carmine used in cosmetics? Carmine is very frequently used to add color vibrancy, long wear, and shade intensity to makeup. It is also the go-to natural dye when cosmetic chemists want to achieve specific cooler ranges of pinks, purples, and reds while avoiding the use of synthetic red, purple, and pink F, D, and C, and lake dyes. Now, some of the links below, well, okay. Now, I will be providing you, I'll be providing you a link to some recommended carmine-free makeup brands in the usual place on the blog at beautyreformschool.com. Now, why would any brand use carmine in their makeup? Well, makeup brands use this ingredient because they feel it's the best natural ingredient to achieve the brilliant cool pinks and reds that we talked about before while staying cleanly within the brand's natural makeup limits. That's why you see ultra-natural makeup brands like Burt's Bees using Carmine to achieve cool baby pinks and a bright magenta, and they know that the ingredient can be problematic to some and also know it's the only option for creating those colors without relying on synthetic FD&C and lake dyes that are anti-ethical to their natural beauty brand philosophy. Now, is Carmine vegan? No, it is not, because the ingredient comes from a beetle. The vegan lifestyle does not permit the use or consumption of beetles and other living creatures or byproduct of that creature for any reason, as with beeswax, the byproduct of an insect's hard work. The inclusion of carmine in a cosmetic world would invalidate any vegan claims. Now, aren't there any other natural pigments and colors that can be used instead of carmine? No. There are no existing natural colors or pigments in nature that can achieve that cool blue undertoned color range that carmine provides to pink and red cosmetic products. All natural pigments and colors are derived from natural sources like iron oxides. They have warm, rusty, or orange undertones. Other natural ingredients claimed to be fruit pigments do not naturally remain vibrant and brilliant pink or red. Natural has its way with them, and all natural fruit pigments turn brown as they oxidize in a formula. Carmine is the only consistent natural, albeit from a beetle, that offers this gorgeous range of pinks and reds that consumers demand in their natural beauty products. There are four ways to color makeup in cosmetics. Adding an additional color to skincare isn't necessary, but the color of the product is quite literally the point and function of a makeup product. The most popular pigment ingredient used in makeup by both traditional cosmetic brands and brands claiming to be natural is artificial FD&C and lake dyes. Of course, now lakes, We know they are made from the FD&C dyes, and these dyes are brilliant, but in no way natural, and we know that too. Now, these synthetic dyes are considered to be clean by the clean beauty movement, and the clean beauty actually considers them preferable to natural options. But make no mistake, they are in no way natural. Now, the second type of pigment is called iron oxides. They are natural in origin, but as the name suggests, they are derived by the oxidization of iron. You may know this substance commonly as rust. You may also recall that rust as a color always has a very warm orangey tone. The cosmetic ingredient is a more refined version of that. It's a more refined version of what you know as rust, and it comes in a variety of powder reds, yellows, oranges, and browns, and black shades even. Most traditional and natural beauty brands rely heavily on iron oxides to provide the color to their products. Like all ingredients, they are inherent issues with using it. It's iron after all. Iron oxide, reds and yellows are always orangey and warm in undertones, which don't make for great cool tone color palettes. That means you will never achieve a gorgeous bright magenta or a beautifully cool baby pink exclusively with iron oxides. And what's more, as the product ages, the iron oxides will do what they do best, continue to oxidize. This means that the color when the color ages in your, your in your product, it will get distorted and increasingly orangey or warm. Now, when it comes to fruit pigments and vegetable dyes, have you ever left a piece of fruit out? You know what happens. It always turns brown. This shade change is known as oxidization and it happens 100% of the time when any fruit or vegetable is exposed to air. The warmer the climate, the more accelerated the oxidation process. While there are a number of natural beauty brands claiming to derive their brilliant makeup shades from fruit pigments, we are very, very skeptical. Most of the more intensely colored fruits and vegetables such as beets and purple potatoes do yield deep red and purple pigments that can be used in cosmetics, but, and this is a big one, the pigment only works in water-based formulas. Now, why is that an important fact? Well, most makeup, especially lip and cheek makeup, is oil-based. That means only dyes and pigments that work with oil-based formulas will be compatible, eliminating 100% of pure fruit pigments as an option. While that particular fruit may be in the beauty brand's formula and on their ingredient list, We don't believe for a moment that it's what is responsible for that brilliant magenta pink and you shouldn't either. The BS radar goes off big time when we see some of the colors natural brands, quote unquote. They're claiming that they come from 100% pure fruit pigments. Poppycock! There is no third party violation or verification of what ingredients are or aren't or in any beauty brand sold in the US. Furthermore, There is no science or granted patents to validate the possibility that fruit pigments can stay stable on their own without the support of a synthetic dye. I will only believe 100% pure fruit pigment claims as true when I see a third-party lab test to prove the brand is not also using dyes that are not listed on the ingredient list. All right. So... We have to get, we have to, we have to get into this for a second because, you know, we talk about it a lot when it comes to irritants and allergens and sensitive skin and things like that. So what does a carmine allergy look like? Well, it's quite rare actually, but carmine can trigger a serious allergy in people. So I've had so many clients worried about the use of carmine and that not even in a vegan sense, but, um... It's not as common to get a carmine allergy as most people fear or worry about. But it's it's the same thing with, any, with the unknown, you know. It just freaks people out, especially when they find out it's a beetle. But anyways, um, the allergy can present as a topical reaction that may look like as mild as a slight itching or watery eyes. Or it can be as severe as swollen shut eyelids. An aggression to anaphylaxis or a complete swelling of the throat requiring a trip to the ER. Now, there are people I know that can't use purple. Um, you might see that in people who can't wear purple eyeshadow or purple eyeliner. Um, they'll tell you they can't wear anything that has purple or red in it, like on their eyes, because they'll get like their eyes will swell up, or sometimes they swell shut if it's just like you know, if they have a particularly bad reaction. Um, Okay, so now, as an additive, carmine was approved by the US FDA for use in cosmetics in 1977. However, they updated its ruling to include new labeling requirements in response to reports of severe allergic reactions, including anaphylaxis to cochineal extract containing food and carmine containing food in cosmetics. So that's that, that's how they had to list that in a product um, for people who have who suffer from those kind of. Um, irritations. Okay. Um, they said, uh, will allow, it'll allow consumers who are allergic to these color additives to identify and thus avoid products where they are contained. Now this is why the FDA requires that products that contain carmine must declare contains carmine as a color additive conspicuously on their label. What do natural beauty brands use instead of carmine? there are no great natural and vegan replacements for Gargmine. Vegan beauty brands who are also dogmatically natural in their ingredient selections and opt out of using synthetic fd and and lake dyes choose to use natural iron oxide pigments and mica specifically treated with iron oxide to heat to achieve red, pink, and purple hues. It's not perfect, but right now it's the best they got, all right? Um... So how do you avoid carmine? Well, the most straightforward way is to avoid car- to avoid carmine is to purchase products from companies that specifically and publicly state and disclose 100% of the ingredients on the label and clearly know what they are talking about if they should claim their cosmetics are vegan. If a product is vegan, it should be 100% carmine free. Ideally the beauty brand would also have a public statement that the product is carmine free. Which brings me to one more thing before we close out. You will notice that in some cases there, and there's been a lot of hullabaloo, it's like after the the Not So Pretty documentary and after um, a lot of, inf- you, I've, I've, it's been brought to my attention that some YouTube influencers were like fussing about certain eyeshadow palettes because they have red in them. Oh, they have red in them. How could you? Here's the thing. The cosmetic industry has found a way to sidestep to just very, very, very slick, slyly sidestep that problem. You'll notice a lot of times that in quote unquote eyeshadow palettes, they are no longer called that. They are usually called face palettes or makeup palettes. They do not mention the eye specifically so much anymore or they will put a listing on the packaging to say like they'll number their colors and then say like numbers 10 12 and 13 are not meant for use on the eye area so you're gonna have to read that box you're gonna have to see and may i point out that if you even roll the dice and you buy that you buy that palette anyway and you do have an allergy You're going to have to make sure that you clean your palette regularly because the dust from those red colors are going to eventually shift and move around the palette. So you might be picking up some of that on other colors anyway, even unintentionally. So just keep that in mind if you have a particular sensitivity or analogy to that. But um, they've been doing that hat trick for a while, y'all, just in case you are unaware or you just didn't want to believe it or didn't want to know it. They've been doing that hat trick for quite some time, quite some time. And it's makeup, right? It's colors. And some people use it domestically, as I like to say. Some people use makeup artistically or both. Um, But people who are using it artistically usually don't care very much. Um, people who use it domestically a little bit more so, um, unless you have a particular sensitivity and then of course you care about it all the time. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's that, there's that. Um, maybe one day they're going to come up with something. I don't know. Considering how science, science is, I don't know how they're going to figure it out, but science has always amazed me, um, up to this point. So I'm sure maybe one day they'll, they'll think of something. But there you have it. That is the deal with red. Now we know. There it is. Now we know what all the hullabaloo is about. Tell your friends. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, it's been my pleasure to bring it to you. If you have any more questions about different cosmetic procedures and history send them my way I'd love to do an episode about them also if there's a creative that you think I'd hit it off with send them to me as well so they can share their stories with us or send in your beauty stories there can never be enough if you don't know how to do that you can do it in one of three ways on Facebook at beauty reform school Instagram also beauty reform school or you can go right to the source at beauty reform school Dot .com and please if you haven't already remember to like, share, follow, review anything, anything really. I know it's tedious, but it helps keep us alive in the algorithm and the more you do it, the easier it is for other people to find us and it helps us grow this wonderful community of ours. Thank you so much for your listenership and thank you in advance for your listenership in the future and pencils down. Class is dismissed and I'll see you next week.